part of what OM has done for thousands over the years is being able to give them some basic training and put them in a situation where they can actually practice that and find out, yes, I can do this, make a few mistakes, but you'll learn from it and God can use, uh, again, that effort. Coming up now on First Person, an interview with Andrew Scott, the president and CEO of Operation Mobilization USA, and the author of the book Scatter, a new paradigm of viewing our work and missions. Welcome, I'm Wayne Shepard. This weekly interview program is made possible through the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, which loves to tell the stories of God working in the lives of people all over the world. There's more about FEBC at our website, firstpersoninterview.com. And it's great to have you with us this week as we both revisit an earlier conversation with Andrew Scott and bring you up to date with a discussion of his new book, Scatter, subtitled, Go Therefore and Take Your Job With You. Operation Mobilization serves Christ in nearly 100 countries of the world, and Andrew is president and CEO of the U.S. office. Previously, we talked with him about his own story of faith and calling, and you'll hear that conversation now. Plus, in the second half, we'll bring his story up to date as we discuss his call to take our job skills into the world as a witness for the Lord. As we begin knowing that Andrew's life started in Ireland, I ask him how it came to be that he serves in the U.S. I've been asked that question many times, as you can imagine, but... uh I guess the number one reason uh, would be, of course, that a sense of God's leading. But that was uh, that happened through an invitation by the former president of OM here in the U.S. Uh, after meeting me, he invited me to come across and help them start the recruiting of college students in the in the U.S. So I came across ten years ago uh, from. Actually, I was living in Northern Ireland at that mm-hmm. time. But you come with lots of experience with OM and on the ships, right? Yeah, I spent seven years total on the ships, two, uh, two years as a single back in 1988 to 90, uh, where really God got a hold of my life, radically changed the direction of my life and uh, gave me a heart for the nations. And uh, after that, I went, I went home, uh, got married. I had a childhood sweetheart that we'd been dating through my ship experience and then did my theological training. Uh, pastored in a church for three years and then came back to the ships again for another five years with my family this time. Something my wife told me she would never do. <laughs> Somehow <laughs> God was able thing to, to convince say, her. Isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk about that heart for the nations yeah. that, that God put in your heart, but take me back to the very beginning. When did you come to Christ? And talk to me about your childhood. Yeah, I was, my, my, my parents were uh, very, very godly people. My father was the elder in the church, the only elder actually, and a uh, little small Baptist church. And they, uh, from a very early age, taught us the, uh, the the truths of Scripture. We had a Good News Bible Club, CEF Good News Bible Club, in our house every Tuesday night. And uh, from being in church, being in that, I understood very early on the, the need uh, to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so at five and a half, it was actually my brother, older brother, that uh, asked me if I'd ever done that. And I hadn't, and, and he led me to Christ in our bed. Uh, so that was at five and a half years old. That's remarkable. Mm. Uh, sometimes it can go the other direction. When Absolutely. you're in a home like that, you turn and become a prodigal. Mm. But yeah. obviously that didn't happen with you. But I have three siblings, and each one of them came to faith at an early age and has stayed the course, been involved. My brothers in full-time missions. My two sisters are very involved in the church. And, and I believe my, the faithfulness of my parents in a very, very sure way has uh, God has blessed them. Uh, and I know that's not always the case, and there's other directions for sure, but in our case, that is, I, I see that as God's hand. So 
was OM always uh, sort of out front for you? Did you always know about OM? And Well, in, in Europe, OM is much better known than it is in the U.S. Uh, George, of course, moved across there back in the early 60s. George uh, Verwer. George Verwer, yeah. And uh, he, um, actually, part of the reason was he didn't want it to be an American movement. He wanted it to be a global movement, and so he moved to Europe. Uh, and so OM, when I was growing up, OM was to a large degree, the mission of choice for young people. And so my parents had an OM map on the wall. We had the Operation World. You didn't stand a chance. Yeah, no chance. <laughs> and uh, my brother ended up going before me. And so uh, all of these things had influences on my life, obviously. Yeah. I just want to pick up on George making it more of a global ministry. That was ahead of its time in its thinking, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, George, like a number of the, his peers of that time, Lauren Cunningham and Bill Bright and the... These men were were uh, visionaries. They they were ahead of their time uh, for sure. And he he realized that that the to reach the nations is going to take the nations, and uh, that's that was a driving force from the early days. Okay, so take me to that first assignment mm-hmm. when you uh, you put your name on the dotted line with OM and you said yes, Lord. Uh, what did you end up doing? Well, it started with a. A, what we call summer campaign back in those days. That was just like a short-term trip. It was a one-month trip uh, into Italy. How old I, were you? I was 19 years old. I'd never been out of uh, the UK and, and just once out of Northern Ireland. So uh, this was a huge uh, change and uh, shock uh, on many levels, but an opportunity uh, to get away from being in a very uh, sheltered environment in my church and in my home. Uh, and just seeing God use me for the first time. But I think the bigger the bigger change came when I left, when we moved on to the ship and, mm-hmm. and flew to Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine what uh, that was like for a young Irishman who had <laughs> never been really out of the country to land in Hong Kong uh, and to join a ship with 300 people from 40 different nations. Are those memories fresh? And, Absolutely. And what, what were some of those early lessons? Well, I think the, the er, one of the, the, the abiding lessons that stuck with me throughout my life uh, because I flunked out of high school, I was I was doing well in high school, but uh, I, I worked part time as a butcher, and uh, my boss uh, unfortunately offered me a job, uh, and uh, before I'd finished my finals, and I ended up taking that job because as a teenager I knew, uh, you know, everything I needed to know in life, of course, and made that decision that I could earn money quicker this way, hmm. and so here I, I was now stepping out of that, going overseas to be a missionary. And uh, I realized, I, I, I just was holding my hands in the air saying, God, how can you use a butcher? And uh, probably, I think it was my second port in Manila, being able to go out onto the street and lead my first person to Christ. Oh, wow. And just understanding then that God, yes, God can use anybody <laughs> if we're just willing to uh, make ourselves available. Did you do that? Willingly? I mean, I, I know you did it willingly, yeah. but were you frightened uh, to, to witness on the street that way? Uh, there were absolutely, there was a degree of, of uh, intimidation. These are people I, you know, they were in the, this was the Philippines, you know, I, 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 would they speak English? Would I be able to get my the message across? Would they, would they even receive the message? All of those fears came up. But that part of what OM has done for, for thousands over the years is been able to give them some basic training and put them in a situation where they can actually practice that and actually, and find out, yes, I can do this, hmm. make a few mistakes, but you'll learn from it, and God can use, uh, again, that hmm. effort. I would imagine that it's a lot of hard work on board the OM ships. I mean, uh, what, what, what were some duties that you had while on board? Well, for some reason, when I went there, they, they, they 
I correlated the fact that I was a butcher with the possibility that I could cook food. So they made me one of the cooks. <laughs> and uh, I, I've never understood that, but I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And uh, so we would cook uh, you know, meals for a thousand, over a thousand meals a day on board the ship. And uh, so that was quite a... And that would, would have been the doulas, right? Yeah, the doulas, yeah, yeah. I spent seven years on. So th- those were, of course, you know, with very short notice being told, now you're going to a prison today to share mm. uh, the gospel with with prisoners, you know. and Assignments like that, that were just dropped on you at short notice, but just continually stretched you and give you opportunities that I you never would have gotten. I never would have gotten back home in, in Northern Ireland. What were some of the other ports of call? Well, we spent most of our time in Southeast Asia. So I've been to about 65 countries. Most of those are been on the ship. So Southeast Asia, right as far north as sort of Korea and China and across to East Africa and the Middle East. Mm. Uh, so that whole area, I've been to most of those countries. Okay, so you said you did that for a couple of years as a single man. Yeah. Pick up the story there. What happened? Well, I'd been dating uh, my now my wife, Sharon, uh, for uh, five years before I went. We started dating. But you went off on a ship somewhere. Yeah, exactly. When there was no email, <laughs> <laughs> phone calls were really expensive. So we had a, a phone call once a month and, and letters, uh, and, but we, we stayed true. And, and uh, when I came home, we got married about nine months later. Knowing that the call was to go full time, and so Bible college was the next. I needed to do college, and so I did my theological training in Belfast, and uh, but with the sole intent of going to the nations again. I always knew you're going back. Going back, hmm. and uh, because I had seen the unreached and the fact that so few were going, and the one thing, the two things in life that I would said I'd never do was one was go to Bible college because that was a waste of time when people were going to, to hell every day. <laughs> Why would I be sitting studying the Bible when I knew more than enough to tell them how they could have a personal relationship? God took me there realizing I needed further education. Secondly, I'll never be a pastor because there's too many of those and not enough missionaries. And God called me to the pastorate for uh, three years as associate pastor in a Baptist church in Ireland. And that was a very very important uh, formation time for me, uh, understanding the central role of the church in God's yeah. plan for the nation. Yeah, I was going to say, as you look back on it now, you can see, as we all look back and yeah. see how God prepared us for yeah. what we're doing uh, to follow his calling yeah. now, he always prepares us. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I came away understanding the key role of, before I was evangelism, evangelism, and then it was through the church, the understanding of discipleship and embedding them in the local church. And of course, then the central role, as I said, the local church in God's, that it is the primary instrument mm-hmm. uh, for, for reaching the nations. But after the pastorate, yeah. you and your wife together. Yeah. And my two-year-old daughter, oh, we had a two-year-old okay. daughter at that All stage. Right. We got the letter of invitation to come back. And interestingly, God brought my wife to the place of saying, this is the, the right thing to do before I got there. Uh, and uh, But together we, we, we went in 1998 back mm. to Dulos again. Okay. Let's hit the pause button on your experience and talk to those listening who maybe feel a call of some sort on their life to do something like what you're talking about that you've spent your life doing. Well, what does that feel like? What does that look like when you begin to feel that that move of the Spirit? Probably a couple of things that I've experienced in my life. One, of course, is that sense, that inner sense that God is stirring your heart. And, and I, I, it's done that in a couple, at least a couple of ways with me. One is the your current environment, I talk about what the eagle does to the young uh, eaglets, and they, she takes all the fluff and all the, the nice things out of the nest when it's time for them to fly, but they don't want to fly. Mm. Makes it uncomfortable so that they don't want to hang around. And God has done that a few times in my life where it's been an, an unsettling and an unrest, and okay, God, what is next? And I go after 
uh, seeking his will and his voice in my life. But then that, that deep burning passion inside, whether it's for a particular people group, a country of the world, or just simply the unreached or the marginalized, whatever the case may be, God is stirring uh, your heart. And, and I always enjoy those times because there's this sense of anticipation of God showing the way uh, and also uh, a heightened awareness of his presence because he's, he's speaking into your life in, in that way. Uh, Our guest today, Andrew Scott, recently he wrote a book called Scatter about work and missions. We'll talk about that next, coming up on First Person. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. FEBC partners with First Person to bring these interviews to you each week because we never tire of hearing how God moves on the hearts of people to accomplish His purpose, whether in the hard-to-reach places of the world or right here at home. We serve a living God who leads men and women to do great things for Him. Learn more about FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Click on the FEBC banner. Our first person guest today is Andrew Scott, President and CEO of Operation Mobilization, and I'm Wayne Shepard. Andrew, a few moments ago, we heard your testimony from our conversation almost four years ago. Nothing in that part of your story has changed, I'm sure, but I'm also sure God has given you some rich experiences and insights since that original visit. How would you characterize these past few years at OM? Yeah, I I think that's well summed up, Wayne. I think the ongoing uh, understanding or realization that the uh, task that's ahead of us as the body of Christ is actually... um, I would say, in a sense, getting getting greater rather than smaller. I think that's one of the things that, that has really hit home to me in these last few years, that every day 57,000 people are added to the number of unreached in our world. That number is over 2.8 billion, which is a lot larger than when OM started 60 years ago. So asking the question over these last few years as a global organization, what does does that mean and what, the other, what are the other trends going on in the world uh, that actually should reshape, refocus us as an organization for this next phase of ministry. So it's been a bit of a a soul-searching time, a bit of a a time where we're coming before the Lord and asking, what would you have us do Mm. uh, in light of where we're at as the body of Christ Mm. in uh, the Great Commission? Well, in that earlier interview, we started talking about calling, and that's especially what I want to zero in on now with you. This is a key part of your new book titled Scattered. And uh, tell me, what what is the central message of the book? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, writing this book out of this, uh, you know, this deep dissatisfaction with where we're at in the uh, Great Commission and and looking at some of the models that we've used in the past that were there for a day but are not necessarily keeping pace with the changing times. Uh, And I think one of the things, uh, Wayne, that came to the surface surface as I looked back at uh, Scripture and how God worked uh, was that in, in, in today's world, we somehow have gotten to a point where calling is articulated most and best by um, some uh, unique experience we have with God that uh, calls us to step out of what we're doing and going to, and go do something else. And as a result, about 99% statistically of the body of Christ have, have said they have not had that experience, so somehow are not... Uh, necessarily engaging their lives with what God's doing in the world. Um, and so my book is about this this central message of we were all created 
for the purposes of God, to be in relationship with him, to get to share, we get to share in his glory, but also as with a role to share his glory. And you are trying to change our mindset or a paradigm, if you will, of how we think of missions, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, bef- before the idea was that you need this calling. I, 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 I say that we're not called to the purposes of God. We were made for the purposes of God. Uh, and so those unique abilities, skills, uh, passions that we have often shape our vocation in life. So I've met many people that are engineers or nurses or doctors, and, and they feel God has wired them that way. And uh, But yet our missions model doesn't allow for them to go and be that somewhere in the world. And, and I'm saying, no, if God has created you that way, he, he intends you to live that way, but would you choose to go live that way somewhere where he's not worshipped? And, and I think we have to disrupt the traditional model that says the only way you step into ministry or missions is to give up that and go do something else that we call ministry. Uh, rather, stay in that and go live your life intentionally reflecting God's glory and goodness through that vocation. And you know what we find, Wayne, when people do that, and I think you'll see this in Scripture in the story of Joseph and Daniel, is that when you do that, you will get opportunities. If you do it with excellence as unto the Lord, not an earthly master, you will get opportunities to share your faith uh, because people will see something different and, and be attracted to it, and they'll come and ask you for the reason for the hope that lies within you as we're told in Scripture. Right on the cover of your book, it says, Go, therefore, and take your job with you. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. <laughs> tell me yeah, tell me what's behind that's, that. That's what we're after. Yeah, tell me more what's behind that statement. Yeah, really, to try and get it down to the, and Moody helped, helped obviously, with that, was trying to get it down to the, the bare bones of what we're talking about, is that God has, has uniquely shaped you, um, especially if you're in a, a job that you really love and are good at. Uh, so... Uh, why not go do that somewhere where God is not worshipped? Um, the missions call is not for a few, it's for everyone. Uh, in fact, I say this book is not so much a book about missions, it's a book about following Jesus. Start doing that where you're at, living out uh, your faith in, in the context of your job where you are now. But uh, as, as a mission force, what if we saw every follower of Jesus asking the question, what what would it look like for me to go and, and, and shine my light? Because that's what Jesus told me I was, was a light, or I'm salt. What if I would go scatter that salt, my presence, my my being, uh, somewhere in the world where Jesus isn't worshipped? And, and I, my job gives me uh, an avenue to get in there. It allows me to have a value add in the community. It gives me an, uh, an opportunity or platform to get in and get to know people. It allows me to... Uh, live out my abilities with excellence and therefore gets credibility, gets me credibility. All of those things are necessary if we're going to share the gospel. Uh, and the problem with the old model, Wayne, was simply that often we, we put ourselves in these communities with no credible or authentic presence. And it took a lot of hard work and often a lot of failure to actually get to the place where we could share our faith in a credible way. Well, your job takes you around the world as an eyewitness to what God is doing, particularly through OM. Tell us some stories. Where where do you see this working effectively? And I know you've seen it happen. Yeah, I, I have lots of stories, but I, I, you know, one of one of the ones, and of course, I can't say which country this is, or even use real names. But there's there's a person who is a lady who went, and uh, she was a nurse, and she said she told me, Andrew, I went to do it as unto the Lord. 
And so she, she did it with a level of excellence that, that, that a normal person could never strive for because they're often just doing it for themselves. We're, we're doing it for a glorious God. And she was noticed. And, and actually, the hospital asked her to train other nurses to be like her. So she put a program together and she did that. And very soon, uh, the hospital came back and said, now the doctors need to learn this as well. Mm. And so she trained the doctors. And, and you know, soon that, that hospital became uh, excellent in their practice of medical care. And she became so valuable to the hospital that she was asked to report directly to the leader of the hospital, the CEO. And even though they knew she was a, a Christian, even though they, they knew that she was actively living out her faith, they wouldn't touch her because she was so valuable to the hospital. And every day she was getting opportunities in an appropriate and loving way to share the message of Jesus, the message of hope uh, with people in that country. Uh, and th- those are the types of stories that I get to see and I get to hear in this model. Uh, authentic, credible presence uh, within the marketplace that is not simply being a nurse, but first and foremost being a follower of Jesus who happens to be a nurse. And I'm sure this is resonating with this present generation of young people who want to go out into the world and, and do what, uh, what God calls them to do. PricewaterhouseCooper did a survey that, and found that 69% of American millennials have intentions of working outside of the U.S., which is a massive shift in culture in this country. But I, I, would, I would say, Wayne, that I, we're actually finding it's resonating also with those that have maybe 20, 30 years of experience oh, and have had the success but are looking for, uh, how, how do I use what I've become really good at and love doing, but with it for a, a degree of significance that I haven't necessarily felt in my past life. And, and so there are many openings in the world for people to go as consultants or, or with 20, 30 years of experience in a particular uh, vocation uh, and great opportunities to go. And we're finding that, that people have been, uh, are, are nearly even feeling a sense of, okay, I, I finally understand how this all fits together, and I want to now go do it where, where God is not worshipped. Are you sensing any pushback at all from traditionalists? You know, I, I have been expecting it, Wayne, but I, I really do believe, because this is not just a, this is not a new message. I believe this is right throughout Scripture. Uh, I believe the Moravians lived it out. Uh, and I think the missions world is starting to change. The church world has started to change. That 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 many are coming to this realization now, uh, and so I, I believe and I've sensed and I've experienced there has been very, very little pushback. And I, w- I do want to be very clear in saying that the traditional model was uh, a very effective model for many years. Uh, and I believe there'll still be room for that moving forward in certain circumstances and instances. But it cannot be our primary model. We have sidelined 99% of the body of Christ. So we're saying, let's engage this whole other group of that have looked at our missions model and said, that doesn't fit who I believe God has made me. Let's engage the 99%. And, and the 1% can continue to do what they're doing where it works and where it's credible and authentic. So it's, it's not to say the old model or the traditional model is bad or wrong. We just need to open up a whole new model uh, for a new generation and a new time. Andrew Scott's book is titled Scatter, Go Therefore and Take Your Job With You. It's all about challenging us to scatter around the world using the talents and gifts we already possess for the benefit of the gospel. Andrew is president and CEO of Operation Mobilization USA. This interview is archived at our website, firstpersoninterview.com, and also available on our mobile app for Apple and Android devices. And if you enjoyed our conversation today, please take the time to visit our webpage and learn more about the Far East Broadcasting Company, which made it possible. 
Like Operation Mobilization, FEBC is committed to take the love and message of Christ to the world. Click on the banner for FEBC at firstpersoninterview.com. Next week, an encouraging story of training young men to be gentlemen as we talk with Dwayne Washington. Now with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. Thanks for listening to First Person. First Person.